Growing a successful design business is hard work. There's so much to do and so little time to get it all done, not to mention the actual design work. The good news is that we are here to help. I'm Krista, the WordPress developer and website strategist from KristaRay.co. And I'm Corey, the designer and creative coach from CoreyWoodard.com. In the Get Back to Design podcast, we're going to share strategies and tools to help streamline and grow your design business, ditch the code and anything else you don't love, and well, get back to design. Grab a cup of coffee, open that Illustrator file you've been working on, and let's dive in. All right, you guys, I am so excited to have Natalie McGuire on the podcast today. Uh, she and I met in a little mastermind of people creating products and services and all kinds of goodies for designers. Uh, and she is, she's so brilliant, you guys. And she spoke at my summit earlier this year, and her presentation was so good that I had to get her on here as soon as I possibly could. But to give you a little background on her, she creates award-winning web designs and digital strategy, and she knows a website. It shouldn't just be a pretty picture online. It should get results too. Heck yes to that. She takes design meet strategy field approach and to her work and works with clients like PBS, David Seitman Garland from the Rise to the Top, and Amy Porterfield. She's also a mentor and coach for other designers looking to up-level the business side of their design business by showing them how to bring in more prospects, manage clients, balance their projects, set income goals, and more. And she believes the world is a prettier place when you make money doing what you love and enjoy a few beers in the process. I love that. I am so excited to have you on today. Natalie, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be so much fun. Yes, I am pumped. Before we dive in to all the good stuff you have for us around, uh, you know, client follow up and getting those jobs, I'd love for you to tell everybody a little bit more about yourself. So how did you get started in your business? And what has your journey looked like up until now? Yeah, I started my business full time six years ago. Um, however, it was a side hustle little business baby for <laughs> about eight years before that. I uh, graduated from college in 2004 and worked for other people as an in-house designer at um, places like a vitamin manufacturing company, uh, a specialty coffee and tea trade mag, and then a advertising and marketing agency. So I worked for other people for about eight years while I was freelancing on the side. And when I was at the agency, um, it just really took off my side business. And I found myself needing to call in sick to work so I could stay home and do freelance work. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, it just became kind of its own animal and it quickly eclipsed my full-time income at the agency. So it was one of those kind of come into Jesus moments wow. where it was like, all right, Nat, like the universe is sending you a pretty clear signal. It's time to go. So I just kind of made a pact with myself of like, okay, I'm just going to try this thing for six months. And I had built up a, a nice nest egg of savings of a good six months of paid work in my bank account. Um, and then I had booked six months worth of work. So I was essentially wow. booked out for a year, like money was in the bank for that. And I was just going to try it for like six months and see if I liked it. And if I did, then I would just extend that for another six months. <laughs> and now it's been six years. And so I still do a, a gut check every six months to be like, hey, Matt, do you still like doing this? And uh, I still do, luckily. So yeah. I'm still here. Yeah. 
Oh, that is amazing. So you started doing freelance design. What made you transition into also offering like mentoring and coaching for designers? Well, so I noticed that um, I that apparently I knew how to do things, and <laughs> um, and and I I know that sounds like like I'm trying to make a joke here, but I really um, I didn't know that I knew that I what I was doing because yeah. everybody has this online persona of like everybody has their shit together, and um, I definitely fall into that trap of looking at other people online, being like, oh, they totally like are filled with clients and they know exactly what they're doing all the time. And I would get into these conversations with people in the real world and online and actually realize that that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. And I also started to notice that a lot of designers and people that I thought were, you know, just like the Mecca of (laughs) people who knew what they were doing, I get into these conversations and they um, were asking for my advice on things. And I'm a very like, open person. If you need help with something, I will give you everything I've got. And, um, and then one day, one of the, one of these mentors of mine that I was ending up mentoring, um, she was like, can I pay you for this? this? Like you need to be paid for this. And I'm like, Oh, like you can buy me a beer. Like, that's fine. Like I'm happy to get together and just have a beer. And she's like, no, please take my money. And that's how that kind of got started. Um, so I started to kind of really dig into what I liked about mentoring people and really what are the things that I'm really passionate about and can really help people a lot with. And a lot of that is systems and processes mm-hmm. um, and some of the mindset stuff as well. Uh, so I just started to kind of dig into that a little bit more and build some packages around that. And uh, yeah, I've been doing, been mentoring other designers for about two years now. And that's really helped to infuse more meaning into my work as well. I love design and strategy, but it's the mentoring and like the relationships and the friendships that form that like really, really fill me up. I know that sounds super Miss America-y, but that's very, very true for me. <laughs> I mean, there, it's... It's just a different level, you know, like designing and everything, developing on my end is great. But when you can really like see yourself making a transformation in someone else's life, there's just nothing like it as cheesy as it sounds like it just doesn't compare. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially, I mean, there's this one mentee that I have where, you know, we started working together and specifically around money stuff. And after one session, she was able to recover $1,200 in her business that was just like missing, that was just like evaporating. And we were able to kind of close that gap. And for her and where she was at in her business, that was a, that was a very big money leak. And so I love being able to, you know, connect in a personal way, but then also see really tangible results of like money in the bank. Like that is really, you know, it's great if someone feels better in their business, but I really want to see the dollars flowing in. So that's really something that really lights me up. Oh, I love that. And I guess related to the dollars flowing in, we'll dive into today's topic, which I'm so excited about. We're talking about uh, a follow-up strategy to use with potential clients. But before we get into like all of the amazing stuff you have to share on the strategy specifically, tell us a little bit about the importance of a good follow-up strategy. Why should people listening care about having one? Oh man. Well, if you don't have one, 
uh, you're missing a tremendous opportunity to continue getting clients booked in the door. Um, I don't know how many times I've gotten proposals and gotten clients on the phone simply because I've replied to their email. And the, the threshold yeah. bar um, for success in this industry is surprisingly low. Um, showing up is like 90% of it, truly. It's answering mm-hmm. the email. It's you know picking up the phone when it's ringing. It's responding in a normal amount of time. It's all of that that will get people to mm-hmm. immediately trust and like you, especially in today's age where we're conducting all of these you know, relationships over the internet, you know, people aren't coming to a brick and mortar business. They're emailing someone like out in the ether. So the more that you can really prove that you are a real life person that like gives a shit that that really is felt on the other side of the screen, on the other side of the world. Oh, for sure. And I love that you started out as simple as answering an email. Like, so right now, if you're answering emails for potential clients that come in the door, you already have the start to a follow-up strategy. Like it doesn't have to be, all the pieces of it don't have to be crazy difficult. Most people listening probably have a foundation and a lot of the strategies I'm sure you're going to cover aren't crazy difficult. It's just, you know, things you can build on to make it more and more effective. And I just love that. So good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Building on it is is definitely the key there. Yeah. So are there any specific things you see a lot of designers doing wrong when it comes to their follow-up other than, you know, ignoring uh, inquiry email they get? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the number one thing is that yeah. they don't follow up. Um, so like they'll get an email in their inbox and they'll maybe sit on it for a day, two days, three days, yeah. four days, And, or they just don't respond at all because by then it's been four days and now they feel bad. So they just let it sit there and they don't end up doing anything with it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's where some mindset stuff can kind of really come in into play here. But, um, that's always the biggest mistake I see is people just not following up in a timely manner or feeling bad that they didn't follow up in a timely manner and then just giving up and not following up at all. Oh, for sure. This is coming up a lot. I'm working with a designer right now to make a a proposal for a client. And since she's working with me, you know, she has to get the information with the client, come to me as the developer, put all of our information together and send it off to the client. And we've been, she's been amazing with this. She's answering my emails so fast. I'm trying to do the same so we can give the client that really good, you know, experience before the project even starts and increase the likelihood of them saying yes. If, if she was waiting, let's say two days between emails for me to get her information. And then, you know, she was waiting a couple more to send it over to the client oh my gosh, like all the excitement the client has while they're waiting for that proposal is just gone by the time they actually get it. So you're right. It's just, it's such a huge, huge mistake. And uh, mindset can be huge because I can see how even even these days when I get uh, an inquiry form sent in, sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't even know if I want to open this yet. It's going to be a lot to handle. Um, but we just got to, you know, it's, it's a mindset thing. You just got to do it, look at it positively, think positively and give the best experience you can right from the beginning. Oh, totally. I think people put a lot of emphasis on, you know, the person that when they get that introductory email and they're get and they get all of the feelings. They're like, Yeah, oh my God, I'm really excited. Oh my God, I really need the money. Oh my God, like this is this is gonna be a really cool project for my portfolio, or oh, yeah. this person is a big deal. And so it's like all of those, all of those pieces 
can kind of stunt you a little bit. Like that's kind of where the mindset piece comes in is like, you know, you're really excited for the project and you really need the money. So maybe it's like you're coming, like you're coming from kind of a place of desperation. The project looks really kind of, maybe it's a kind of a bigger project. That's maybe a little, it's going to stretch you a little bit. Then it's like, oh, I don't know if I'm the right person for this. Like, so mm-hmm. you have, so you're second guessing yourself. There's just like a lot that goes into it. And so like, when I always see, you know, like, okay, so you're responding in about three to four days, like, what's coming up for you? Yeah. Like, where is that coming from? And, and, and like, what is the story that you're telling yourself here? What stopped you from replying to that email the day that you got it? Like, of course there, there might be some logistics things. Maybe you're a parent, maybe it's the weekend and you don't work weekends. You know, maybe there's some logistical things. Um, it's outside of your business hours, whatever, but maybe there's more to it there. And so I always like to kind of dig into that of like what's going on behind the behavior as well and and giving that a voice as well. Ugh, so good. Yeah, I'm, I love that you brought that up. And it's something, you know, mindset isn't something I've ever related to follow-up strategy. Uh, so I'm so glad we're touching on this and maybe uh, bringing that aspect to light for some people who didn't realize that that was a part of a problem they have. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. I mean, like if you don't feel worthy of the project, you might not feel like you can reply to mm-hmm. it. And and it's important to to look at that and be like, well, why don't I feel worthy? Why don't I feel like I have the expertise to bring to this project. Why do I feel like this person is so far above me? You know, like let's dig into some of some of those pieces because there's always more going on behind the behavior and it's not always as simple as we'll just send an email. But sometimes there's there's more going on there and and revealing some of those little pieces will really sort of, you know, help you disentangle some of the other behaviors that are creeping into your business that you might not be aware of that are maybe sabotaging your success or impeding where you really want to go. Yes. Oh my gosh. So much good stuff. I want to get into the strategy part now a little bit with you. And I know from your summit presentation that you like to break up the follow-up strategy itself kind of into two main pieces with the first one being a little bit of setup to make what people probably think of when they think follow-up strategy actually work. So let's dive in and chat about what that first step includes for you. Yeah, totally. I like to break up everything into kind of different parts. So it's a little bit more manageable. And really the first part of a follow-up strategy is setting up your onboarding process. So you don't need to follow up in the first place. You know, it's kind of like that example that you gave with the designer that you're working with of, you know, really replying to the client as soon as possible to capitalize on their excitement and their momentum, because every moment that the client is waiting to hear from you or the prospect is waiting to hear from you it gives them time to talk themselves out of the project. And so the, sh- the time that you can really shorten <laughs> their wait time and, and keep their excitement going, the bigger the likelihood that you'll close the deal. So that really begins with, you know, when you get an email in your inbox from that prospect, answering it within 24 to 48 hours. If, if you don't work on weekends, like that's totally fine. If you get a pro- like an email in on a Saturday, um, you know, and you wait to respond on a Monday, then it's a good thing to say, like, thank you for your patience. I, you know, the, I'm 
these are my business hours, you know, so, to, so that they know that you weren't just like being flaky. But if it's coming in during normal business hours, Monday through Friday, you really should be responding within 24 hours, 48 hours at the absolute latest. And then when you reply to make sure that you're thanking them for reaching out and that you're mentioning some experience that you've had working with others similar in their field and really start repeating back some of the problems and concerns that they mentioned in your contact form. So it proves that you're listening and that you're really present and plugged in with what they're really hoping to do. And a good way to do that is to make a custom video and it doesn't have to be something that's like fancily lit with like, you know, editing software and, you know, animation or anything like that. I use a very simple uh, browser extension called Loom. Mm-hmm which just records my face and my background. And I'm sure to look at it. So it's like, I'm really looking into their eyes as I'm talking to them. Um, And I just repeat back things that they're saying in their contact form, like, hey, so-and-so, that's so awesome. You're looking to scale your business with this online course that you've created. That sounds really awesome. And and I can totally relate to how frustrated you are with the tech side of piece of tech side of pieces that you're working with and not really having a marketing strategy and feeling like you're just kind of out of place in this in this kind of business model. So, you know, let's hop on a call. Let's talk more about that. I'm so excited about your industry. This is going to be really cool. All the next steps are below. Let's get this going. So like the video is like maybe a minute long, like nobody wants to watch a movie more than that, like a a movie here. Like you're really just like keeping it pretty tight and right. Just making sure that your enthusiasm is showing, making sure that they know that you care. Um, And then a link to a calendar software that lets them book easily. So you don't have like 900 emails shooting back and forth of like, what's your time zone? I don't know. What's your time zone? (laughs) No one wants to have that conversation. Oh my God. So that introductory email is really once something that's really going to prove your expertise, your trustworthiness, your energy, your enthusiasm, like right away, all in one spot. Yeah. I love that you emphasize um, kind of repeating their problems back to them. Um, because in my experience, I'm thinking specifically like with coaches, uh, when they do that, rather than just send me, you know, an email with without anything really in it, those ones who really like repeat back to me what I'm what I'm struggling with and show me confidence that they can help me. Oh my gosh, that increases my excitement and willingness to work with them so much. And I feel like they're really listening and hearing me and prepared to help. And that is no different than what clients looking for a designer are going to feel like and think. So I really love that you emphasize that right away. And the video, making a quick video with Loom, which we'll link in the show notes, just makes it even more powerful because now they're seeing you and the connection is so much stronger than going back and forth through email. And this is already uh, just so much more powerful than what I'm sure a lot of people are doing. I just love this personalized aspect. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, video is really all about evoking emotion. And, you know, with email, it's really tough to evoke emotion with text. I mean, like we can all be really great writers and there's certainly, you know, some emotion that you can generate there, but video is utilizing, you know, your site, which is going to be a really huge piece of establishing that emotional connection with your prospect. And there's also like the fancy quality where, because people aren't doing this, um, I don't know how many times I get an email back from my introductory email where people are like, 
oh my God, that was so cool. Thank you so much. Nobody is doing that. I, if I didn't love you before, I love you now. Yes. And, and that's something that it's like, yeah, that's a really nice pat on the back, but it's about establishing that connection right away that like you cared enough to like make this video. Now they don't need to know that it's a simple, like it literally took a minute it's a browser extension. I just clicked it. I have, you know, I'm just able to kind of like say these things. I've had enough practice and it's just a simple, you know, thing. It didn't take that long. They don't need to know that to them. It, it you might as well be walking on the moon with a flag that has their name on it. Like to them, it is like so unbelievably exciting. So yes. it's a really good thing that to start using, to really start separating yourself out from the pack of people that are just sending a boring email back. Um, this this is something that really creates that shortcut of like, oh, I like this person. Yes. Cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Now I'm thinking, you know, what would happen if I were to, for example, reach out to several designers, I get maybe a, maybe one sends a contract immediately. Maybe someone sends a, like an invoice link or even a call link immediately. But then this third one has this custom video where they're talking directly to me. And yeah, it just stands so far above and beyond everything else. For sure. Ugh. I just love it. Okay, so this first part uh, of this follow-up strategy includes, you know, having a good contact form and responding to them in a timely manner with this custom video and a link to get an appointment on the calendar. Is there anything else that goes into this first step? Um, that pretty much covers it. They book their call and then, and then, you know, you have your first meeting with this prospect where you really have to, you know, choose kind of your, your medium. Some people are video people. Some people are phone call people. I'm very much a video person. I really thrive being able to see people. And especially when you're working with someone over the internet, you know, it's really important to establish that like, Hey, I'm a person, I'm not a voice in a box and I'm not like a bot just replying via text. Like it's right. kind of one of those things that will really help you, um, again, establish an emotional connection with your prospect. So I'm a big advocate for having a video call for that intro, um, that first call that you have with your client. And I always have a list of questions to really do a deep dive into their project. So I have enough information to create a proposal. And I like to ask questions that really let them talk without me interrupting them, without me trying to sell them anything. It's really like, tell me what's pissing you off. Tell me what's frustrating you, not just on your website, but like in your business right now. And then I just like shut up. And, and, that, and having that question in my list of questions, it really helps me fill in all of the blanks of all the other questions that I have. And I always like to let them know, like, I'm going to be typing, I'm going to be taking notes. I'm not like, you know, out in the ether, like hanging out on Facebook or anything like that. Like I'll be taking notes. But having that question really lets them explain what's frustrating them and it lets you help find them solutions, whether that's a piece of tech, whether it's another business opportunity that they might be missing. Maybe it's, you know, a different solution that they need to be incorporating on their website. Maybe they need to have multiple websites so that they can focus on building their different audiences. It really puts you in problem solving mode versus I'm going to sell you something mode. Yeah. And to them, that makes you more valuable and more trustworthy because you're changing the conversation. You're not just like, hire me, hire me, please hire me. It becomes, I'm already starting to solve your problems because I care. 
care. And they're the ones that are getting to explain how they're feeling. And you're able to just come from this place of not sales, but of just being helpful and, and giving them ideas in real time that they don't, it's not like they have to commit to any of the ideas that you're giving them on this one call, but it gets them used to trusting you and seeing what your expertise is. And they just start trusting you so much faster. Yeah. And I I think so many designers, at least so many I've talked to are really hesitant to get on, uh, you know, these first, first consultation type calls. But when you position it this way and you're not coming at it from a point of selling, it just becomes so much more natural and you can feel so much more genuine and just not gross basically going into this call on it you know, not only does it just solidify that connection you've already made from these previous steps you've given, but it it gives you such a better opportunity to really serve this client better and find out what they might be needing that they they didn't know they needed or they couldn't communicate in a written form. Uh, And it really is just so powerful. But yeah, if you have like, you know, a list of questions and you go in with the goal of listening instead of selling, it just makes it all so much easier. And like you said, they feel like you're helping right away, even if it is primarily them talking, it's, it's like, it's just another level of, uh, the client intake type process. Absolutely. And it also gives you a chance to tell stories as well, where if a client has a certain problem that you've worked on before with another client, (sighs) it gives you a chance to be like, oh, so, you know, I actually have this other client who same situation, they're struggling with X, Y, and Z. And this was a strategy that we implemented for them and their business so that they could take advantage of the exact same goals that you're identifying here. And so this is how we broke it down. This is how we got started. And these are the results that they got. And it was, and I think that a similar strategy would probably work for you. What do you think about that? And it's, and again, like you're just being like a helpful person Yeah. and people like really resonate with that right away. So at no point are you just like being an order taker or, you know, just getting down what exactly they want on paper, but you're an active partner and an active participant in that call. And maybe they like some of your ideas and maybe they don't, but it's having that conversation and it's about showing your expertise right away. Yeah. And so, so we're not selling on these calls. So I'm guessing the last step to this is like a proposal. So you don't even have to worry about giving a number on the call. You don't have to worry about convincing them. You listen to them, you put what they've said in this proposal, and then it's up to them to make the decision. Absolutely. Yeah. And I always put everything in the proposal as a way of how is this project going to be solving your problems versus Mm -hmm. like, here's a list of deliverables. Um, So everything is relating back to the, how are we solving this particular issue and what are you going to be getting out of that so that they always know the benefits of what they're going to be getting. And I always like to submit the proposal within like 48 hours of the call, um, if not sooner to again, capitalize on that excitement of the call that they just had. Um, you know, people get really worked up after the call, like in a good way, that sounds bad, but they get really excited. They're like, oh my God, I didn't see these opportunities before. And this is going to be really awesome working with you. Like you already have this background, you know how to solve my problems. I already trust and like you, you get the proposal. It's a done deal. And, and I really like to send my proposals via hello sign or some other program that lets you 
sign online with a click of a button versus like having someone send over a PDF that like they have to print out and then sign and then scan. And like, it's not 1994 people like no one wants to do any of that. Like it is 2019. Let's act like it. So again, it kind of, you know, reinforces that, that momentum piece of like no barriers to entry here. They just, you know, sign with a click of a button. Let's call it a day. Let's get this going. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that, that was part one to this, you guys. And all of this stuff that we've talked about sets such a solid foundation to what most people probably think of as a follow-up process that you might not even need after all of these crazy good steps. So once this foundation is set up though, tell us about how people can follow up with prospects, you know, confidently and without looking desperate if it does become necessary, even after this really solid beginning of the process. Absolutely. Because even, even, you know, you can have the best call in the world and the best onboarding process and still like life happens with your prospect. Like maybe they're a parent and their child just got sick. Maybe they went on vacation. Maybe, you know, they're dealing with some life crisis. Like you don't know, like there's a million things that could be going on and you can be telling yourself whatever story of like, oh my God, why didn't they respond? What is going on? I'm, I'm a failure, failure, failure. Like there's like, like a whole shame spiral that can happen that I've definitely seen with my mentees. And, you know, that's okay. Like that happens to the best of us for sure. So, you know, one of the things before you start your follow-up strategy is to really kind of do a gut check to really check in with yourself and be like, okay, deep breath. Like, (laughs) do I want to really work with this person? Like, are they really an ideal client? Did I like their project? Did I like them personally? Like, and that's a big piece that I think we sometimes overlook in our client onboarding process where it's like, would I want to get a beer with this person and hang out? Cause you'll be working with them for a while. So it's important that like you connect on some level. So like, do you like the project? Do you like the client? Now, if you're just in a spot where you just really need the cash and none of those things matter, that's okay too. There is no shame in that. If you need the cash, you need to pay your bills, you got some rent to pay, absolutely you can you can skip the self-check-in. But if you're if you're at a spot where it's like you have a few clients or maybe a wait list and you're booked out, take a minute to really check in with yourself and be like, okay, do I want to follow up? Because sometimes when you need to follow up, that can hint around at some weird red flags. It might be an indicator in my personal experience that you might have to chase them down for every little teeny tiny thing and that they might be really slow paying their bills. They might be a total flake in supplying content. Like it could be red flags there. So that's why you kind of have to check in with, okay, like how did the call feel? What was, what were they like, you know, during the onboarding process um, to kind of reconcile some of those things. Yes. I love that you're bringing up this gut check because I think it's really easy to when you are, you know, in this onboarding, you know, process or trying to book a client, I guess, to forget that we have a choice too. Just because someone reached out to us doesn't mean we have to say yes. And sometimes yes is the is the easiest thing to do. Um, but especially if you have to follow up with somebody, I'm so glad you brought that up. 
think about what that's going to mean, especially if you have this really, really solid process. Give yourself the freedom to think about that, um, you know, and especially if you don't need if you don't need the job right away. Like right now, I have I have three proposals out, and there's one person I'm actively talking to, and it's the uh, project I'm most excited about right now. I'm letting those other proposals that I haven't heard back from in a few days. I'm just letting them sit for now yeah. um, because there's this other one that I'm way more excited about, um, and I'm I'm glad that I gave myself that choice uh, to look at the one that's most exciting, kind of let the other one sit for a little bit if they need to and, and move forward with, with the best one. Um, but yeah, it can also definitely be a red flag, especially like if you have to follow up um, more than one time. And I'm interested to hear what you think about that. For me, I'm not going to follow up more than once, no matter how bad I need that job, because like you said, like you never know what that's, how that's going to transfer into an actual, actual project. And that's just so much pressure for you if you are going to have to babysit through the entire thing. Absolutely. I completely agree. And I mean, especially if you're the kind of person that's very type A and you have a very tight um, process, it's really locked and loaded and you really need people to be present. I mean, I don't know what project doesn't need people to be present personally, but (laughs) if you have a really solid process, like that's going to be you know, and you're working with someone who is maybe a little flaky and someone that you have to follow up with constantly, that's kind of doing a disservice for them. They're not going to have a great time working with you because you're going to be like, hello, client, like I need all these things. And they're probably going to be like, oh, I'm overwhelmed or mm-hmm. what's with all the nagging or, you know, whatever. And then you're going to feel like a babysitter, like a glorified, like underpaid yeah. babysitter <laughs> chasing down with like, feral human that can't seem to get their shit together. And so that's that's kind of, you know, I'm not at all talking about personal experience. (laughs) Um, So it's like, that's part of, that's really part of the gut check. And for me personally, because I'm always booked out a good six months in advance, I, I, I'm with you. I don't follow up after one. I like, I might say like, if it's a project that I really, really like, I'll be like, Hey, just wanted to check in. But I'm in a position that I don't have to check in. And it's certainly if it's, you know, a, a client that I just am very neutral about, I'm kind of like, nah, I don't, I'm yeah. not really going to chase this down. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a good, that's a good part of the gut check to take into consideration too. Yeah. So if someone sends their proposal and everything did feel good to them and they haven't heard back, how long should someone wait to follow up? So when you submit your proposal, I always like to mention with the proposal mm. of like, I'm going to follow up with you on X date if I don't hear from you so that they know that that this is coming and that they can't just take forever. Um, So having that is going to be really helpful. People tend to get back to you pretty quickly because of that, because they want to avoid a phone call or another email. So, so mentioning that when you submit your proposal is a really good thing of doing. Um, I like to wait a good, like two days after I send the proposal, so like 48 hours to give people time to like, look at it, think about it. And sometimes at the end of your video call, people might be like, Oh, I'll get your proposal, but I'm going to be on vacation or I'm going to be yeah. over here. So I might take a little while to respond. So take that into consideration if there was some caveat at the end of the video call. But generally, 48 hours is a good time to check in. So you're not super eager beaver, but you're <laughs> but you're also like, hey, I exist. I'm still here. Let's get right. going kind of thing. 
Yeah, I use um, <clears throat> Dubsado to send my proposals. And something I really like about that is you can see if they've opened the email and viewed the proposal, um, which is really helpful for me with like knowing how to position that follow-up email. Like if they haven't opened it, I'm going to email them again outside of Dubsado and make sure it didn't go to spam or something like that. And that's how I position my follow-up email. Or if they did open it, then you know to, you know, try to get a check-in and or gut check for them even to see what they're thinking about it. So that's something uh, really helpful that I like about that platform specifically that makes the follow-up that's that usually feels a little awkward to me a little bit easier. Totally. I know HelloSign does the same thing. So I get an email oh, nice. and it's like, this has been opened and it's very big brother. I'm like, oh, thank you, HelloSign. I know. <laughs> like creepy window into the prospect's computer habits, which is just really nice because yeah, you can, then you can kind of modify whatever story is happening in your head of like, did they get it? Did they not get it? What's going on there? So yeah. And then the client and the prospect can't play the game of like, Oh, I didn't see it or whatever when you know. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a good, that's a good point there. Yeah. How many follow-ups do you think someone should do before they just are like done? Definitely. So you know, if, if you're again, like in the camp where you're really struggling for clients and you really need the money, I would put a limit to three. Anything more than that is like desperation territory and just, you know, not worth your time. That person is clearly a red flag and a bad fit. And, you know, three times is just absolutely plenty. Like you don't need to disrespect yourself by chasing around someone more than that, for sure. Um, that's definitely the limit that I would use and, um, and, and really keeping it to that so that you feel within your own integrity and you're not getting, you know, treated like a doormat. Yeah, I think that's a big part of the not looking desperate when you're following up is not doing it too often or too many times. I think that's a good limit too. I would definitely agree. Um, but we have gone over so much. This follow-up strategy is so good and I'm so glad we've talked about this. It's such a big part of increasing conversion rates and landing clients that you actually want to work with. Um, if our listeners take away just one thing from all of this, what would that be for you? It would be to answer the emails that come into your inbox <laughs> from your contact form on your website. Honestly, I, I really can't say it enough how many times I've heard from prospects of, I have emailed four or five other designers and nobody got back to me. You are the only one. Or, wow. or conversely, like I've emailed four or five other designers and you're the only one that got back to me within a normal amount of time. Um, it's again, like the, the bar for success with this is surprisingly shockingly low. Um, it really all just comes down to showing up and showing up in this case is just, it's just answering an email. It's just answering mm -hmm. an email. And if it's something that's like really hard for you to do, you know, create some swipe files for yourself where you can have the email back already written in your drafts folder that you can just cut and paste and mad libify, you know, so people, so it makes it easier on yourself. Like if you know you're the kind of person that is dropping the ball with this, what systems and processes can you implement to make it easier, to make it less hard? How can you templateify it so that it yeah. makes it easier and makes it feel better for you so that if you don't have this like thing languishing in your inbox, like quietly judging you, you know, <laughs> like you don't, you don't have to live that way. So having a system that will help you to respond in a quick and easy and effective way 
is going to be, and, and just showing up at all with sending it is really going to help with this process so immensely. Oh, I love that. And I love the simplicity of it. Uh, and I, I do think it's something that just, even though it is so simple, it's going to be really effective and it's just something that shouldn't be overlooked. So I'm so glad you brought that up. And thank you so much for all of this good stuff you've shared. I know everyone is like taking notes or if they're driving, wishing they could take notes to go and implement all of this right away. Um, so I would just love for you to take a minute to let everyone know where they can go to learn more about you and what you offer and keep up with you online. Yeah, absolutely. I'm at nataliemaguiredesign.com and all the information you would ever need to do some light internet stocking is all right there. All my social media, all my services, all that good stuff. It's all right there. Awesome. Well, we will link to that in the show notes, but thank you so much for being here today. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. For show notes, past episodes, and more information about the two of us, visit us online at getbacktodesign.co. If you enjoyed today's show, it would mean the world to Krista and I if you take two minutes to head on over to iTunes and leave a review. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe so you can be the first to know when new episodes are available. Now put what you learned into action so you can streamline and grow your business, ditch the code, and get back to design. Oh,